Hey guys, it's Woj here. The final two episodes of The Last Dance premiere this Sunday at 9 p.m. Eastern on ESPN. Immediately after the show airs, listen to the wrap-up podcast hosted by Jalen and Jacoby, which is brought to you by State Farm. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Coverage is also brought to you by AT&T. You can find Jalen and Jacoby wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, now more than ever, we have to look out for each other and count on each other. Marathon wants you to know that you can count on them for the high-quality, top-tier gas. Marathon gasolines are formulated with STP additives. They keep your vehicle running at peak performance by optimizing fuel economy, removing those ugly deposit buildups, and by reducing emissions. And right now, you can get $0.05 cents off every gallon every day with Make It Count Rewards from Marathon. Plus, you can earn points for additional savings on fuel, airfare, hotels, and more. This is definitely a deal you can count on. It's quick and easy to join. Just download the Make It Count app or go to makeitcount.com slash radio and start saving today. This offer is valid only at participating Marathon stations. Remember, wherever you need to go, be safe. The people at Marathon are behind you all the way. Hey, welcome into another edition of the Woj Pod. Here with the Stefanskis. Ed Stefanski, the senior advisor of basketball operations with the Pistons, and his son Kevin Stefanski, the new head coach of the Cleveland Browns. Guys, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us, Woj. I was wondering what his title was. Thanks for clearing that up. <laughs> Se- senior advisor of basketball operations. That's that's the title they give you when you're trying to negotiate a GM salary when you're actually the GM. Uh, so, no, that's uh, – Ed obviously runs uh, Pistons basketball operations, and Kevin obviously just came from the Vikings to Cleveland as the new head coach. Here's where I want to start with you guys. 2002, game five in the Meadowlands, Nets and the Indiana Pacers – Ed is the GM of the Nets at this point, working with Rod Thorne. And Kevin, I believe, is a sophomore at the University of Pennsylvania. And to me, one of, like, when I think of, like, sort of seminal moments for organizations, I think of that game five. And it was a 1-8 series, right, Ed? It was a, the, the Nets were the one seed. Right. Pacers were the eight. And you think back, usually there's a big gap between a one and an eight. And that series never felt that way. Reggie Miller was on the back end of his prime, but still very, very good. It was a talented Pacers team. And Reggie hits like a 35-footer to put the game into overtime. And I just remember this feeling in that arena of, you know, oh, no, the Nets, one seed, they have this breakout year, and, and, and they're going to they're gonna lose. <laughs> they're going to lose in the first round. Kevin, what do you remember about sitting there with your father – college sophomore, your dad goes to this organization, they really start to turn it around. What, what do you remember about that day? Yeah, that came specifically. With, with, did Reggie bank that one in, that deep he, shot? At he the did end? bank it. He did bank it. Yeah. Uh, I just remember every time Reggie Miller touched the ball, he like took your breath away. You just you just assumed the ball was going in. Uh, but those that game in particular, those games, those series, we'd drive up there for those games. And it was just, it was a raucous arena. Uh, Jay kids leading them up and down the fast break and, and they're playing born to run. That was like an incredible uh, time for the New Jersey Nets. But I remember that game in particular, I also remember my mom 
leaving the stands, and I think she was doing laps around the arena just saying the rosary probably because <laughs> she couldn't handle it. That's great. That's great. That, that Ed, right, was when you think about that, when you guys were turning the corner, I, I don't remember a, a more pressure on an organization in one day, in one moment, than, and then in the overtime, I, I just remember Jay Kidd. Jay Kidd really willed your team that season in a way – very few players. You talk about turning an organization around what he did that year. But I remember Jake Kidd, there was one play late in the, I think it was in the overtime where he was playing post defense on, I think it was Reggie and made a steal. You know, they were posting him up, made a steal, just did everything in that game to will you guys. But man, that was a turning point for the organization. Yeah. If just a little background that, as you said, Woj, we were the number one seed. We had won, I think, 50, 51 games that year. You were covering us. That's when I really knew you when you were a young guy. And it was, uh, it was such a game because if we don't win that game, everyone is going to say we had a bad season and we had a terrific season. We had turned a corner. The trade for Jay Kidd just was a franchise changer. And as Kevin said uh, he banked it in, but it that was before the they had the uh, the red lights going on when the clock expired. It was after the fact. Now today it would have been waved off, but the emotions that were in all of us because we couldn't lose that game. And as you said, uh, Jay Kidd, I always uh, would laugh if we were within. I'll say within 10 points with six minutes to go in any game, when we had Jay Kidd on our team, he was like Superman, and we would kind of win that game. Also, what what we did at the end of games, we would put Jay on the best player. It wouldn't matter what that player, one, two, three, four, we would put Jay on there because of his physicality. Plus, the referees weren't going to call a lot of fouls against Jay Kidd going down the stretch, and let's be honest with it. (laughs) If you go back, the stars get the calls, and they don't. So – Jay just willed us, uh, and it's funny how everyone's career, like we could name uh, Richard Jefferson, Kenya Martin, uh, Jason Collins, uh, all getting contracts from Jay Kidd. You can mention Rod Thorne, Ed Stefanski, uh, all doing well because Jay Kidd made us a, a terrific franchise. Yeah, and don't forget the Brian Scalabrini five-year, $15 million deal with the Celtics. I swear to God, I was when, when I was talking to Arn Tellum, who obviously I work with now in Detroit, I said, Arn, we love Scal. We absolutely love him. And we're, he's getting the minimum, and we want to give him a raise. We'll give him a raise off the minimum, but we can't do any more. I mean, just he said, Ed, you won't believe this, but he got five years, $15 million at Boston. I said, we will drive him up. And I went into Rod's office. Rod said, put the bubble wrap around him while we drive him up. <laughs> but, you know, we love Scal. And, and, and Scal did a terrific job for Boston. Uh, Scal's a good guy, as you, we all know, to have on your team. Uh, Kevin, you tell the story of what we did with our – what was it, Christmas cards, Kevin? Yeah, we uh, – f- he was like a, the fifth Stefanski brother uh, as a rookie there in New Jersey. So I, I know we – doctored up one Christmas card and put a photoshopped uh, scowl in our Christmas card. And gave it to him. That is great. 2002, we were talking about that next season. Incidentally, the last time the Cleveland Browns made the playoffs. And, and what I think is really interesting, Kevin, is, you know, when, when you take over a franchise that when they've been through a lot of coaches and a lot of executives and there's been a lot of change, you know, and there's this natural inclination that I think people sometimes feel – when an organization has kind of been beaten down that way, that things are going to go wrong. Ah, it's the Browns. Ah, it's the Nets. 
and, and, and I would think that being a young person watching how that played out with the Nets, and you can see how quickly you can change all that momentum and make kind of all that darkness go away. It had to be an interesting lesson to see at sort of that formative age for you. I think it was, and, and I think you think back to – we're talking about 2002 Nets, but go back to before that, Dad, and when you got there, who was, what was the famous play – uh, the last second shot, Placido, what was the guy's name? Or no, Pal- Palacio. Uh, we, we, Mil Palacio. <laughs> Mil we had, remember, Woj, we had them beaten. Yes. And Kate Case was the head coach and Jimmy Lyman was the assistant. And all we had to do was throw the ball in bounds and they throw it into the backcourt. Or maybe it wasn't Case. Maybe it was Byron. But they, yeah. we, we, if we throw it in the front court with a second left, we win the game. Instead, we throw it in the backcourt. Palacio catches it and throws it in. And I thought Rod's blood – I know Rod's blood pressure was at an all-time high. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't fun being in that coach's locker room after that game. And I apologize bringing that up. But I just – I remember those moments with the Nets also. And you talk about Jake Kidd, that transformative figure – that all of a sudden elevates the play of his teammates, elevates the play of the franchise. And how it relates to us, I mean, the, the past really, from, from my perspective, I told, I've told the players this, I really don't care about the past. I don't care about last year. I don't care about the year before. That's really not going to affect us going forward unless we can learn lessons from it. Unless there's a play or a series or a game that we can learn a lesson from in the past, we're going to apply it. But I just think we're so, we're so forward-thinking right now and, and what we're trying to do. Uh, and, and I think we have the right people, uh, but now it's just a matter of doing it. And so, yes, I, I've seen the lesson of what that looks like when, when a franchise gets transformed, but there's a lot of hard work and a lot of things behind the scene that will allow you to get there. Hey, Kevin, your dad was in his early 40s, successful in private industry in the mortgage business. I knew Ed Stefanski from the Atlantic 10 Network game of the week. Ed would be up in Olean doing like St. Bonaventure, Duquesne <laughs> games. He was a television analyst. Uh, that, that's how I knew him. And he comes home one day, right, at some point and says, I'm going to take a scouting job with my friend John Nash with the New Jersey Nets. What, what do you remember about, number one, a significant pay cut? Number two, pretty dramatic career change in your early 40s. What, what, what was the conversation around the dinner table around that time with you and your brothers and your, and your mom? Yeah, you know, a lot of people always ask me about what it was like growing up having a dad in the NBA. And really, I grew up with dad, the mortgage banker, you know, it, very, very uh, different than an NBA lifestyle. Now, like you said, he was doing the color commentary for local games, Duquesne, St. Bonnie's, uh, Villanova, the Hawks, St. Joe's. Saint, the Hawks of St. Joe, too. Woj is <laughs> <laughs> not a big fan of the Hawks. <laughs> The hawk will never die. Exactly. But, uh, so that was the life. That, and then when we got into high school, I guess that was, or I was in later on in high school, he, he did. He, he had a career change. And, and I call him, it's like Forrest Gump, the amount of lives that he's lived. He's just, he's not as smart as Forrest Gump. But I just think it was some of the things he, you know, did early on in his career and then got to a point uh, there where he wanted to, you know, chase something, wanted to go for something. And, so I think that's a lesson definitely that, that I've learned and, and that I think anybody can learn when, when you find your passion and, and you have an opportunity, I think you got, you got to really go for it. But it, it definitely, we had a very normal, uh, uh, like I've, I don't think I've never been to an NBA practice in my life, you know, so it's not like I grew up around the game, 
but I, I have seen him now been able to to go chase something that 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 was out there that that he that he really wanted to try. Right, and Ed was the original virtual draft night at home, tenth round pick of the Sixers in nineteen seventy six. Off of what? What did you average your senior year at Penn, Ed? A couple points, but you know, I, I, I don't want to bring this up, and I'd say this to George Blaha, the famous uh, announcer for the Detroit Pistons and other Pistons, and God rest his soul, my coach Chuck Daly, who I love. But I said, you know, I always tease Chuck a couple things that I was going to sue him for how he handled me at the University of Pennsylvania because I thought I could have been an NBA star. And then when he had Isaiah, I'd always say to him, Chuck. Who was the better point guard, Isaiah or me? And he'd look at me disgustedly and start laughing. He wouldn't even answer the question. And uh, now that I've, been, I, I've come pretty close to Isaiah, Isaiah's been great to the franchise. And uh, Isaiah always laughs that, uh, you know, I played for Chuck before he played for him. And uh, we, have this, we have a lot of stories about uh, the great Chuck Daly. And uh, it's amazing how Chuck was uh, in the college. And if you go back a little bit here, my coach for three years in the bar, back then, the freshman, you had to play freshman in, in the NCAA. Uh, so my coach at freshman year at Penn was Roly Massimino. And then my varsity coach for three years was Chuck Daly. That's pretty good. I don't think you can get better coaching than that. There's nothing realer than someone you can rely on, whether you're relying on them to make the shot in the clutch or be there when you need it most. And when you think about great shooters in the history of basketball, one of those that you have to start with, Ray Allen, no shot bigger in his career than game six against the Spurs as a member of the Miami Heat in 2013. That corner three that he had shot and made a zillion times in his life saves the Heat. They go on to win game six, game seven, win a second championship in Miami, I remember Ray Allen as an 18-year-old freshman at the University of Connecticut. I covered him there, and this is something that always stays with me. I'd watch him in the gym late in the evening. I'd be leaving the press room, and there's Ray Allen in the gym working on his form shooting from three feet, four feet, five feet, and moving out. The, the most fundamental thing a shooter does. And then 20 years later, I remember him, 37, 38 years old in the Boston Garden, hours before a playoff game. There's Ray Allen, a million made shots in between, and there he is form shooting the same way he did as a freshman in college from three feet, four feet, five feet, moving out. Remarkable study and consistency, precision, hard work, and that's certainly the case also with State Farm. Someone you can trust to come in clutch makes all the difference on or off the court. With State Farm, you get a teammate you can rely on, You get the real deal. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. The press conference when Kevin is named uh, head coach in Cleveland, I know you traveled down. I think most, if not all, your family was there. What what was that day like for you to watch? I mean, he, when you talk about climbs in the business, I mean, Kevin literally, you know, like, I think a lot of guys, especially guys who didn't play in the NFL, you start uh, essentially as an intern. He did that with the Eagles and then went to Minnesota and, and worked for a, had almost every job you could have uh, on the offensive side of the ball, becomes the head coach in Cleveland. What was that day like for, for you? 
Yeah, that was a surreal day for us, or for me, I should say. Um, very proud of Kevin. Uh, I don't want to get his head too big, uh, but very proud of him. It was a neat experience. I'm sitting there, and I, I would, growing up, the NFL was my favorite sport to watch. Uh, uh, with the Eagles in Philadelphia and everything. And so I saw the great Jimmy Brown. I was at a young age, but I saw the great Jimmy Brown at Franklin Field play. Um, and now Kevin coaching uh, a franchise like the Browns, the head coach. Oh, my God. Uh, uh, it's just if, you know, my father and my brother was around who were NFL freaks, I don't know if they could have handled it. But the whole family being there as brothers. And the one thing, Woj, I was telling a lot of people, what uh, Kevin's very fortunate, his three brothers – we're so proud and happy for him. And the whole thing in the search of Kevin possibly getting a job in the NFL the last couple of years, his brothers were his biggest supporters, his biggest fans, and showing zero jealousy. So I'll give my wife a lot of credit for raising four great kids. Kevin, when you now, like, you go through the virtual draft and you guys had to prepare for the draft in a different way while you're also trying to build a foundation at a place where you physically can't be with the players I'm sure it tests you and your coaching staff in new ways, forces you to probably be pretty creative with how you're trying to teach. But but how much have you and your dad gone back and forth about uh, – because now he's got a draft coming, and they don't know what kind of pre-draft they're going to have. have. Have you guys compared notes at all through this? We have, and I think, you know, we got to go through it and, and kind of saw some of the pitfalls. And, and really, there wasn't one snafu through the whole draft. Uh, it, it went off without a hitch. So I did, uh, against my better judgment, I did give my dad, Andrew Barry, our general manager's cell phone. I shouldn't have done that, but I did. Because <laughs> now Andrew's going to get a lot of free advice. But I know they're going to reach out and kind of see some of the technological things that, that we put in place. Uh, but it, it's, it's very doable, let me put it that way. And I think communication, it becomes even more efficient uh, a lot of times when, when you're on these calls. There's not a lot of time to deviate or, or go, get off the whatever you're discussing at that moment. So we we uh, we really had a, a went off went off without a hitch. So we're definitely going to get the Pistons and the Browns uh, talking. Hey Woj, uh, before the draft, uh, because of Kevin, I have a lot of friends now in Minneapolis in the organization, uh, Oakland. Uh, Mayock grew up in Philly. He's like a, a little uh, younger, young guy with me. And uh, Howie Roseman and I have become close. And now Kevin's in Cleveland. Not one of them would take my tips on who to take in the draft. <laughs> now, what? They, they always laugh. When I call them before the draft to wish them good luck, all those teams, I say, do you want any advice? And they just start giggling. I don't know what that means. <laughs> but I did tell uh, – I told Spielman years ago, the Minnesota GM, take the best athlete. Because if if he can't play, at least he's athletic enough to get on the field. I always say, if you're going to err, and you know, it's funny, when I was uh, with Rod in, in New Jersey, and we're going to make that trade uh, with Eddie Griffin, uh, and we got Richard Jefferson at 13, I said, oh, God, you know, that was one of my first uh, big things with Rod. I said, Richard can really play. Saw him three straight games in Hawaii. I said, He's really, really athletic. But Rod said, you know, his skill set may not be there. I said, oh, Richard, don't fail. But Richard's, Richard's ath- athletic. That, that I always like the athletes. I'll be honest with you, Woach. Hey, that was a huge draft. That draft in New Jersey kind of put in place your depth that, that you ended up building around with uh, Kenyon Martin and obviously Jay Kidd. Hey, Kevin, here's something I'm curious about. How much in being around – when when your father was in – 
New Jersey, was in Philadelphia, was in Toronto, then obviously Detroit. How much did you learn about general manager head coach relationships? And maybe from the perspective of the GM, when you think about some things along the way that might have been helpful for you when you now embark on that part of your career? Yeah, quite a bit. And I think uh, with the coaching and personnel, there's such a, uh, a long history uh, of, of w- one side maybe thinking they know the answers, the other side thinking they know the answers. It's like the uh, separation of church and state. Uh, but I've definitely seen it work well, both at, at the Vikings. I've, I've seen it work well. And then just with my dad's experiences, just uh, with the personnel side and the coaching side, there, there's a way to do it. Uh, and that's where we're really fortunate here in, in Cleveland with Andrew Barry and, and his personnel crew. I think there's, there's a place of uh, mutual respect on both sides. And I think there's definitely a, a way to, to work together um, and, and definitely things that I've seen along the way uh, in my dad's career. I think, Ed, that more than anything else, when I see things that sort of tear apart organizations, it is that relationship, the head coach GM relationship in so many places. Like typically there's like two things that you, you always see go on that, that tend to tear at organizations to me. One is sort of the grabbing for credit or the passing of blame. And if you can sort of stay away from those two things and sort of live in the middle area where you're sort of pulling together, it allows for a lot more staying power in, in this day and age. Well, that that has been my biggest thing. Any organization I've been, um, I have a saying to everybody when we talk is, it's all about the players. Check check your egos at the door. And everything that we try to do any place I've ever been is to try to make it as, as comfortable, as competitive, um, and, and a culture for the player. Uh, they're the ones we have to make better uh, on the court and off the court. And, and that's how a, a franchise will thrive. I always tell everybody, though, and I'm a prime example of – when you're successful, uh, the trickle-down effect, it, it gets even down to me when I first started as a scout. If you're successful, you can move up. But you you got to be successful. You have to have a good culture. And and uh, Kevin's right. Uh, I hate when the uh, the personnel department and the uh, coaches, there's a wall up. that It, it just won't work. Unless you have great players, uh, it's just not going to work. So that wall always has to be down. And you know, Kevin and I talk about a few things, and I think where he is now in his career, uh, it's so huge for him to be a manager, uh, and and because he's got all these different departments that are going to be reporting to him. And even though his mindset has been the offensive side of the ball, now he's got to think of everything, everything down to the the equipment manager uh, up to the quarterback, and uh, so. Uh, he, he's got a, a big job, but, uh, you know, managerial, I think that's going to be huge for him. I wonder, too, how much you uh, – I know you guys are talking about it with your indi- individual staffs and groups and, and, and I imagine with each other. The way that your leadership is tested during this time when there's so much uncertainty, you're having to be creative and figuring out how to be productive and reach players. You've sta- you got a whole new staff together in Cleveland that's not really been together in a way that would build chemistry uh, before, uh, you know, during OTAs or camp. What have you two found about, I I guess, the way you're being tested leading organizations during the pandemic? 
Yeah, I think the big thing for us is we have to come together even though we're apart. We, we just – there's no two ways around it. So we've worked really hard to make sure that our guys are, are together on these Zoom calls. Uh, e- even if, if we stop talking football for a little bit and we start just talking about life and the things that they're going through. I think the thing that I miss from not being in the building is, you know, you'd walk down the hallway and you'd pop into someone's office and, and – and, you know, check in with them for five minutes, and then you'd walk downstairs and check in with somebody. So you miss all those pop-in meetings that uh, are important to, number one, you know, earn the trust of the, of the people you're working with, but number two, to just get together with, with your with your group and, and see see what things are on the horizon, things that you may meet, need to be doing, or, or hey, this is a, a potential uh, speed bump down, down the road. So the big thing for me has been constantly text messages or phone calls, uh, throughout the day, just really checking in on everybody uh, because we, we can set and we have set a program and here's a curriculum of players, but then it's really important once we do that to then sync up one more time and get everybody back on the same page, which is so much easier to do when you're in person. It's it's harder to do. It's just, it's not impossible. It just makes, it's a little bit harder. What has that been like, Ed? You, you guys went through, you, you had a player test positive very early, right when the season was was shut down. You had to quarantine your team. What was that like in Detroit? And as you guys have tried to learn how to live and 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 protect players and try to keep some you know some calm and some some order during a real difficult time. Yeah, you know it's been a difficult time for obviously everyone in the world. Um, that was hard. Uh, I think everyone was a little, not a little, they were frightened. They were scared. Uh, what, what no one knew you couldn't see the enemy. And, uh, but our players and our entire traveling staff did a a very good job. We were in daily contact, our, our medical and performance people and, uh, myself and coach Casey, and we were staying in contact with the agents, um, and we just made sure everyone had to do it, and it was important to them and their families, uh, and they did a terrific job. As this kept going on and on, it got harder and harder, and, and, and there was players that wanted to go home to their loved ones, which is understandable, and so uh, they got to various uh, locations around the country, uh, and they're all feeling well, thank God. Uh, but it was hard, and, and Detroit got hit hard, and that was another thing. And I, I give Tom Gores, our uh, owner of the Pistons, a lot of credit. He's been – he's from Flint, Michigan. He's been extremely uh, successful, self-made, but he doesn't forget uh, Detroit. He doesn't forget a lot of areas, but I, I know Detroit, and he's been terrific giving back. And that that's what I think it's all about. And Detroit stepped up big time because they were a, a hot spot there for a while. The numbers are going in the right direction now, uh, but all the credit to the uh, the people in Detroit. The role guys that the Pistons, the Browns, other professional sports teams are going to play, yeah, people want to see you guys play, and it's just – it makes listen. It's 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 a part of American life that people want back. But but I, I just get this sense in, in in the communities and the places where you guys live and play and coach that the role of professional teams in those areas with the unemployment, with the how many people are out of work, how many people are hungry, that there's going to be an even broader role in communities. I think for a long time coming off that I wonder if you guys have already gotten a sense of of how Pistons how the Browns are going to fit into that in your places 
Yeah, I think Northeast Ohio in particular is a fanatic about their Browns. And there is a yearning for this team and, and a constant yearning for, for news about this team. So I'm kind of experiencing it and living that. And just there's a, the, our ownership group, uh, D and Jimmy Haslam, the, what they've been able to give back to this community during this time, uh, and, and really prior and really what we're going to do moving forward is, uh, really special. So th- there is a bond that sports teams naturally have with their uh, communities. And I know this, that when we do get back to playing, there's going to be such a, a, a uh, an emotional uh, feeling of, of, of that this is back to a sense of normalcy. I think Sundays are for putting the TV on and, and watching your Browns or going to the game or tailgating or whatever it is. Uh, there's just this, this r- real very strong, desire to, to, to be able to experience football again. And, and that's something that, that uh, we're working real hard to make sure we, we can provide. You know, Woj in Detroit, they're fortunate. Uh, I talked about Tom, Tom Gores and what he has done, but we also have Dan Gilbert who owns the Cleveland Cavaliers. He lives in Detroit, uh, has Quicken Loans, the largest mortgage company in the country. Uh, and he's been phenomenal with the city uh, before the virus uh, on the rebuild and, and he's there. So uh, Detroit, it, we're, we're fortunate to have those two guys and many, many more, but the, to give back, as you said, that a city that needs help and uh, they're hopefully getting everything they need. Hey guys, Scott's turf builder, triple action has acquired the secret to building a thicker, greener lawn In return, they have taken all of the hard work out of the picture to give you more time to do nothing extra. People don't realize that it's easy to get the lawn of their dreams by simply feeding their lawn a few times throughout the year. Scott's Turf Builder Triple Action kills weeds, prevents crabgrass, and feeds to build thick green lawns. With Scott's Turf Builder Triple Action, you can finally get the lawn you've always dreamt of. Scott's Turf Builder Triple Action will give your yard the nourishment it needs to help your weak, Thin Lawn Recover. When you feed with Scott's Turf Builder Triple Action multiple times throughout the year, your grass will be greener, stronger, and more resilient. Pick up a bag today. This is a Scott's Yard. Also, Scott's No Quibble Money Back Guarantee states, if you're not satisfied, you get your money back. This is a Scott's Yard. Ed, have you, uh, how many stories has Kevin heard, especially Kevin's coming off his first draft, how many lessons are there to be learned from Rod Thorne's buyer remorse on a draft pick? Ed? <laughs> the, the first, the first, like the, the equivalent would be the first pass route a receiver ran in training camp and dropped the ball. How would Rod react to that? Those, those, explain to people what Rod Thorne, your former boss in Jersey, and uh, how, how he would handle not a great start from one of your picks. you got to love Rod. He, there's nobody like Rod, and he was my mentor. I've learned so much from him. Um, he is huge on following uh, our kids, and he's so – I mean, he is thrilled that Kevin is the head coach. He was following as close to me, texting, where, where do you think he got a shot? You know, so Rod's been really into it. But I'll tell you, we would draft. A guy, draft the guy on draft night, he'd say, Ed, I need to see you in my office. This was at, as soon as maybe, I don't want to exaggerate, five to six minutes after we draft him. And he'd close the door and said, we screwed it up. We shouldn't have taken that guy. <laughs> I said, Rod, he's going to be fine. Yeah. Rod, but that was Rod. And then we, when we took Kenyon Martin, I mean, Kmart, 
was coming off major injury, major. When he came in to work out for us, he literally went five to six minutes and he laid down on the floor. He hadn't worked out. And we, we still took him to this day. And Rod wouldn't tell us uh, right up to the, like the last minute who we was taking because Rod wasn't sure. And I, I can totally understand why Rod wasn't sure. And thank God we took him. But his first year – uh, Kmart struggled because uh, a few things. His teammates maybe weren't the best complimenting him, plus he was coming off that injury. And then after that, it was over. Kmart was as good as it gets uh, out there. But Rod was the best, and, and he's so em- emotional during those games. Uh, the players fed off it. They started to enjoy it, to, to Rod, Rod's emotions out there. But there is – you talk about competitiveness, I'll put Rod up there with anybody. Yeah, I had heard that there was a Brooke Lopez Summer League story. I believe Brooke had, like, a bad first quarter in Summer League, and Rod was not a, a real joy to sit next to in the stands, right? Rod was not fun to go to Summer League with. <laughs> Summer League. Now, think about it. We, the, kid, the kid hadn't played that first NBA game. We're talking Summer League. and uh, But, you know, that's he just he wanted to be competitive right away. I'll never forget, we're in Boston, the Boston Summer League uh, up there. And we're right behind uh, the basket sitting where the press or the uh, front office personnel would sit. And we're playing. And the referee, this is summer league. And there's, uh, I guess, the D league at the time of referees and different. And they weren't making good calls. Now, remember, Rod was in charge of all the officials. He was killing the officials at a summer league game. From there. <laughs> I'll never forget the other GMs and people were saying, oh, my God. I said, hey, that's Rod at his finest. <laughs> and how much time, how many Browns games? It's, it's not a, I mean, from Detroit to Cleveland, geography is, is certainly in your favor here. I know you'd be at a lot of Viking games through the years when you could get there, but have you started to break down the schedule and figure out Hey, which one, which Sundays can I sneak away and, and make it? Yeah, this virus is, you know, this is not as important as other things, but this virus has hurt my schedule because, and this has helped Kevin because I thought once they started all their practices, it's only two hours and a half to his practice facility. So I was going to be there a lot, uh, you know, giving, giving advice to everybody in the building. But now uh, we're, you know, hopefully uh, for everybody's sake, we get some kind of antiviral drug before the vaccine comes out and we can all go to the games but I plan to go as many games as possible I don't say boo I just sit there and enjoy the games and and Kevin can even say through his basketball and football careers all my sons they never heard anything from me from the stands now I did talk to him after the game but uh, I think I was pretty good uh, as a father in that respect yeah, I mean, I would agree with that. Now, you're not saying you're coming to every practice, are you? <laughs> no, but I may, you know, I would think about that. But there's two things, and Kevin can tell you, uh, and I think it goes well when, I, when, when we address our teams before the season and I get a few minutes to talk to the team. I have two things that I told Kevin and all his brothers before they played every game. I said the only two things I care about is play hard and have fun. And I think there are two things you can say on the pro level. If you're not having fun out there and not playing hard, uh, I just don't think it, it works. So they're the only two <laughs> words I gave of advice to all my sons. Kevin, is there a potential, maybe down the road in, in your dad's next phase of career, maybe that quality control coach? No. He could be the no, guy no, wired, right there. Right, the guy wired right there to the head coach, following him around on the sideline in his ear. Yeah. That's not a role you see for Ed. <laughs> All right, let me ask you. Let me ask you a question, Woj. 
those, those quality control coaches typically need to be pretty technologically savvy, knowing everything, <laughs> knowing everything it took to get this call together. Do you want me to go hire this guy? <laughs> that's, a, that's, a, that's a fair point. Uh, Kevin, you had a line in your press conference in Cleveland, and it really resonated. I, I heard you say it, and, and I thought it was terrific. And I heard from some other – a few coaches in the NBA – executives I'm kind of curious the the genesis of it essentially you said in the press conference when you're talking to the Browns players your personality is welcome your production is required where, where did that come from yeah I first heard it from Gary Kubiak and uh Kub is speaking of you know Rod Thorne being a mentor uh Kub I was with him for less than a year and I would definitely consider him a mentor for me uh he had a thousand uh, not, not just quotes, but a thousand little anecdotes, things that have helped me become a better offensive coach, become a better coach, become a better, you name it. Uh, but that was one of the things he talked about was, you know, personality is, is just fine. We, we want your personality to show at practice. Uh, if you're somebody that, that runs your mouth and barks a ton at practice, go ahead. I got no problem with that, but you got to follow that up with the production. You got to follow it up with work. So that was something I stole from Coob. Um, and it's true. And, and I've already told our players about it, that I've explained to our players that the number one thing that, that I, the thing that I look for in a player is I, I need guys that work and I respect guys that work. So if you come in and, and you're in the gym, you're, in, you're on the field, you're, you're working out, you know, you, you're putting the work in. I respect you. I, I respect that guy. And, and then it's a matter of, all right, how much personality you want to put up with because that production better come with it. Well, guys, this this was a lot of fun. I know you guys have meetings to get to today. Uh, Kevin, Ed, thanks for thanks for jumping in here. Uh, a lot of fun to have both of you guys together. Uh, stay safe, and and uh, I, hopefully we'll, we'll catch up here soon down the road. Woj, can I say one thing? Yes. All right. So the guy has Raleigh Massimino as his freshman coach, mm-hmm. Chuck Daly for three years. Such great coaching, and he was able to average two points his senior year. <laughs> I mean, I was, a, I was a point guard. Look at all the big guys, how well they did. It was inside out basketball back then. <laughs> well, it w- worked out, worked out pretty well for Ed. Uh, Pistons senior advisor of basketball, Kevin Stefanski, the head coach of the Cleveland Browns guys. This was a lot of fun. Uh, we'll catch you soon. Thank Thanks, you, Woj. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Woj Pod. A big thank you today to the Stefanskis senior advisor of basketball operations in Detroit, Ed, and the new head coach of the Cleveland Browns, Kevin Stefanski. Be sure to listen to new and archived episodes of the Woj Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll catch you next time. Stay safe.